0: So, I wanted to talk about urban agriculture.
1: okay, fuck yeah, I don't really know what that means, but let's do it.
0: yeah, what do you have any like image that comes to
1: mind or anything? Um what it sounds like is <laughs> like community gardens in Brooklyn, like that's all that comes to my mind. is like growing herbs in very small plots of land in like a big metropolis. That's like all I can picture.
0: Yeah, I mean, spot on. It's agricultural practices in urban areas. Okay. And it can look like a bunch of different things. Community gardens being one of them. But there's also... So they have all these fancy words in the definition. Mm. So involving horticulture, Mm. which means garden cultivation. Animal husbandry. Oh. (laughs) Which is a funny word to mean breeding and caring for animals. Okay. (laughs) Aquaculture. Oh, another great word which is like harvesting fish and shellfish oh so basically all of those things fall under urban agriculture if they're happening in an urban area
1: how does Um, one harvest fish in an urban area would it just be like a coastal city yeah
0: you can do that and then there's also kind of like a greenhouse like fish farms in cities Uh, uh okay But depends on the breed of fish. And that's probably not the most sustainable thing. But we're not really delving into the fish. Um, (laughs) But um, I wanted to talk about New York City specifically. That's where we live. Mm -hmm. And New York is like a super densely populated city and very isolated from the rest of the state. Mm -hmm. So I think it's also an interesting case study on like what urban agriculture can look like.
1: Great! Oh my god, I'm so excited.
0: So first, we're going to talk about food security and insecurity in New York, mm. and how urban agriculture could play into helping this.
1: Oh, great!
0: So currently, there's an estimated 1.09 million food insecure New Yorkers.
1: That's like a huge, yeah, fraction of our city. Yeah, which Isn't is in our city like 10 million, or what is it? Yeah, or like nine. Yeah. That's
0: huge. Mm-hmm. And it's a rate that's 12% higher than the national average and 21% higher than New York State at large.
1: Oh, wow. So not
0: looking so great. No. Not, not the best. And from a New York City Council study of from 2015 to 2017, those experiencing food insecurity were 18% of all children, almost 9% of working adults, and almost 11% of seniors. Wow. And, of course like everything, communities of color are disproportionately affected, with one in four Hispanic New Yorkers and one in five black New Yorkers reporting food scarcity, which are four to five times higher than white New Yorkers. Wow. (laughs) A reminder that all society's problems
1: are intersectional
0: and environmental justice
1: is racial justice is economic justice. Yes. And it's also a good example of, to your point of intersectionality, why colorblindness is so unhelpful Hmm. because if we were to just look at strictly the numbers and not take demographic into account and just be like okay like x number of people Mm -hmm. are food insecure we wouldn't be able to actually target the groups that really need the infrastructural overhaul the most we wouldn't be able to be like okay like let's give a very targeted solution or let's create a very targeted solution that addresses like i don't know i think my mom's generation is very much one of i'm colorblind Mm -hmm. like i don't notice anyone's race and i'm like well that's not helpful like we can notice it and honor it and like appreciate it and love it and want to learn more about it and be curious about it and fucking see them for where they're at and what you know our white heteropatriarchy has done to them in the U.S. (laughs) over the past centuries yeah exactly
0: and if we don't know the demographics like you're saying we don't know where to send aid you know like where, where, where to focus our attention right and one thing that I found that was interesting is in my like preliminary knowledge of food scarcity and insecurity i was always hearing about food deserts Mm -hmm. which is basically when neighborhoods or areas have little access to supermarkets or grocery stores which is usually more in like rural areas where people need to drive long distances to get food Mm -hmm. but what seems to be an even bigger problem are food swamps Mm. and that is what happens more in new york which is where low-income communities They have like an abundance of fast food and junk food and convenience stores and liquor stores, which outnumber healthy food options. So it's not a matter of like, is there food around? It's just what is the quality
1: of food? Right. And presumably those fast food places that are much, much easier to get to and much closer by maybe in the building next door, are also significantly more affordable.
0: Exactly. Exactly. The expansion of these large supermarkets that sell things in bulk are usually processed foods, Mm -hmm. which makes processed foods the cheapest and most accessible thing that you can buy. Mm -hmm. And food swamps are actually a greater predictor of nutrition-related health issues than food deserts.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. And so it's not just... And also, like, you can't just replace, like, a big supermarket where everything's cheap but processed with a whole foods because people can't spend their money at a whole foods like it's it's too expensive so yeah like proximity to healthy food is not the only barrier it's also Mm -hmm. the affordability and so you have to kind of like meet in the middle of both of those things right and one kind of interesting distribution of like healthy food that we can see in new york is i'm gonna send you a link the distribution of farmers markets across the five boroughs oh so visually you can see that like Mm. Manhattan has much more like clusters, mm-hmm. and Queens, for example, has like a few, but they're very spread out, and there are areas that have none. Mm-hmm. Number of residents in each borough per farmer's market: Manhattan has there are forty three thousand people per farmer's market. Okay. Brooklyn is fifty eight thousand people per farmer's market. Queens is a hundred and nine thousand people per farmer's market. Wow. The Bronx is 56,000 and Staten Island is 158,000.
1: Yeah, Staten Island in this infographic is only showing 3. Yeah. Farmers markets, <laughs> so that that <laughs> makes sense. Exactly. So not only does Manhattan have like
0: a better ratio, mm-hmm. but they're also much better distributed. So even if in Queens, it's still a terrible ratio, but it's not really like there's 109,000 for each Farmer's market because some people would have to like travel so far Mm
1: -hmm. to get
0: to one that there are just people that never would go to a farmer's market. Right. And also, compared to Manhattan, with the exception of Staten Island, all boroughs have more black people and fewer white people compared to Manhattan.
1: I see. So it sounds like the borough with the best people to market ratio is also the whitest borough. Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. And then when we think about green spaces, Like, parks and gardens. New York City, predominantly black and brown neighborhoods, have significantly fewer trees and green spaces. And this creates something called urban heat islands, which means that the air temperature can be two to four degrees warmer in those neighborhoods than in other areas. And the difference in the surface temperature can be, like, many, many times that.
1: Holy shit.
0: And there was an example of over the summer of 2021... On the same day, the sidewalk on a tree-covered block on the Upper West Side measured 84 degrees, and the pavement on a treeless lot in East Harlem measured 115 degrees. A 31-degree difference just, like, a mile a away. Mile. A mile. like yeah.
1: yeah, for those not from the city, Harlem's not that far from, like, the Upper West and East neighborhoods yeah
0: exactly so it's like oh wow a tree does a lot you know a
1: lot (laughs) and it it just makes me think about how so much messaging in the U.S. is always like just pull yourself up from your bootstraps like Mm -hmm. just do it and I feel like that message has also pervaded like The discussion around childhood obesity where it's like get exercise like get 60 minutes of play like Mm -hmm. feed your kids better snacks like da 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 like whatever else like it makes the kids feel guilty about it and it makes the parents feel guilty about Mm it. But as you just said earlier like food swamps are a better predictor of nutritional deficit or or issues than food deserts presumably a better predictor than weight too but it's just like it's these bigger environmental factors that have much more to do with whether our kids or anyone in the city is like getting what they need. And it sounds very true for this sidewalk microclimate example too. Like if your place to play is like an 115 degree lot versus a park i'm not running around outside you're not running around outside like leave alone even the like gun-free neighborhood argument that like for better gun restriction like if your park is safe but fucking roasting like no one's going outside and getting play yeah it's just like it's not the kids fault and it's not a parent's fault it's like these big infrastructural barriers yeah all i have to eat are chips and all i have to play is a concrete lot like no fucking (laughs) roasting yeah like Mm-mm. Like, oh my God. Yeah, it might be better for you to stay inside if you're like gonna possibly faint. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, honestly. Jesus.
0: Oh my God.
1: <sighs> and so, yeah, so it's
0: like these low income communities have access to 21% fewer parks mm. than those living in high income areas. And along racial lines, neighborhoods of color have access to 33% less park space than white communities. 33% less. And the parks that are in neighborhoods that are predominantly people of color are on average 7.9 acres compared to an average 29.8 acres in white areas. Fuck. <laughs> so the parks they do have, teeny tiny. Yeah.
1: Damn. I mean, like we all know the that Central Park, or you and I know, but mm-hmm. for listeners who don't, Central Park is absolutely massive and is like sandwiched between Midtown and then the Upper East and Upper West side. So that kind yeah. of, that checks out to me.
0: Yeah. And the Upper West and the Upper East have much more length of the park that they access (laughs) than like Harlem right on top of the park.
1: Right. Right. Because the park is a long rectangle. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're like, (laughs) you could be close to either like a three block stretch of park versus like your entire neighborhood.
0: Exactly. And this lack of like green space is not just, oh, it's pretty and a place to play. But it means the higher temperatures. It also means Mm -hmm. higher air pollution and health problems like asthma and cardiovascular disease. Kids in the Bronx are much, much more likely to have asthma than anywhere else in the city. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's not just, well, I want to park because it's cute. Like, no. Right. It really has like real effects.
1: (laughs) That's so interesting, too, because of just you know us living through a pandemic that is a respiratory virus like oh yeah it's just the domino effect is so crazy to think about like okay so now maybe they have like lower bone density or like malnutrition issues because they're like just eating chips and they can't go outside because it's so hot and it's yeah. not gun free and they also have asthma and there's a global pandemic yeah and, and, and there's just... no healthcare. <laughs> you're sorry <laughs> it's like <laughs> jesus fucking christ it really snowballs
0: uh, i know it's it's wild how much everything is connected and everything snowballs. And also heat, extreme heat, is the primary weather-related cause of death in the United States. Wow. Yeah. And the racial discrepancies and deaths are so high that black New Yorkers are twice as likely to die from heat exposure than white New Yorkers.
1: We're not in, like, you said New Yorkers, right? Like, Yeah. Black New Yorkers are twice as likely. Yeah. Okay, because we're not in Death Valley. We are not in... Scottsdale, Arizona. We're not in Australia under the hole in the ozone. (laughs) Right. Like, sure, in 20 years, we might be somewhere that hot (laughs) without having moved. However, I guess I don't think about weather-related deaths often, but Mm -hmm. this isn't a place that I associated with, like, heat deaths. That's just crazy to think about.
0: Yeah. I guess, like, really big natural disasters don't happen as often as warm days in the summer Mm. but if you had asked me what weather event do you think kills the most people I would have said like hurricanes or hurricane
1: yeah because I think it's like especially with both you and I I know you were in Spain at the time but you did have like a foothold in the U.S. and Mm -hmm. we're here often and we both grew up during and in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and then also kind of saw the changes the city was making to hopefully prevent similar destruction in the case of an equally disastrous hurricane in the future. That's the kind of thing where I think about, okay, this is a weather event we need infrastructure for, Mm -hmm. but it's even things like we need parks, in neighborhoods. And parks, parks are infrastructure. Yeah. Like, we need parks and trees to prevent heat-related deaths. So it's not just, yeah. like, better, you know, dams and building foundations and X, Y, and Z for hurricanes. It's also—infrastructure yeah. is also getting fucking parks and neighborhoods. And as you said, it's not, oh, it's frivolous and it looks nice. Yeah. Which is also a great reason
0: to make communities, like, look pretty. Yeah. But, like, people are dying from heat exposure because there are no trees. Like— Right. It, that's so solvable (laughs) (laughs) and we're not even done people of color are exposed to more air pollution from every source so that includes industry agriculture all manner of vehicles construction residential sources and even emissions from
1: restaurants so we need more trees there even more (laughs) trees yeah like double the trees that white neighborhoods have if that's The freaking case, yeah. And when thinking
0: about resilience, um, you mentioned hurricanes and how New York has been affected by several like damaging hurricanes, not to the same degree as like New Orleans, Mm -hmm. but you will remember, Audra, in September of 2021, Mm -hmm. Hurricane Ida hit New York and really highlighted our vulnerability to like extreme rainfall Mm -hmm. because the subways and the streets and basement apartments flooded. Multiple people died mm-hmm. and it really shows like how ill prepared our water management systems are like our sewers cannot handle that and flooding is not the only collateral damage of hurricanes and as more frequent extreme weather events like this happen there could be damage to critical infrastructure that's required to transport our food and so it would impair like our access to groceries and rising temperatures in the summer are also going to need like more refrigeration and that's going to put a greater stress on the power grid mm-hmm. so we need to be talking about like how to how to have a food system that is resilient to changing climate because if we don't if everything's flooding and infrastructure is damaged and trucks can't drive in with groceries like manhattan is an island we're <laughs> <fucked>. <laughs> like,
1: I know, literally. And, like, there are, like, two bridges to get here. And they're already always backed up. Like, literally, how are we going to get these 10 million people out? Yeah. Or however many are in Manhattan specifically.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And, I mean, since we live in a globalized world, like, we depend on global trade for a lot of our food. So climate change that is affecting other parts of, like, growing regions Mm -hmm. will ultimately affect us, too. Right. And inevitably make everything more expensive so we should really talk about local food production and yeah our ability to like adapt and grow in response to this stuff is really going to be crucial because we have an unprecedented climate crisis right <laughs> and this obviously isn't going to like replace international trade but We could create a local environment that is capable of providing sustenance during like uncertain times to avoid shortages. Like, if we were in like a crisis with a hurricane or something and mass amounts of food can't come in, if we have some form of local production that can like bridge that gap while the bigger things are being fixed, that would be nice.
1: Yeah, it's just like a more flexible and as you say resilient system to have like to be self-sustaining yeah and to have like not to make this sound so like finance bro but to like diversify (laughs) (laughs) diversify like your sources of like food production yeah heck
0: yeah do not put all your eggs in one basket (laughs) correct (laughs) Mm -hmm. and when you were saying oh yeah parks and and realizing like parks are infrastructure urban agriculture is infrastructure and until the early 2000s urban planning research really didn't take agriculture into account because it was thought of as like a rural topic Mm -hmm. and now it's being considered a much bigger priority for local governments to focus on so we're going to talk about a couple different options that we have
1: great so
0: like you mentioned at the beginning community gardens And New York City actually has over 600 food producing community gardens, which is pretty cool. And they are estimated to grow 87,000 pounds of produce per year. Wow. Yeah. Also pretty good. Yeah. I can't totally visualize that, but it sounds like a lot.
1: I know. I'm like, I think I'm picturing just like a field with like big piles of apples. I'm like, what what is 87,000 pounds really? (laughs) Yeah. Like a huge scale and just like a pile of potatoes.
0: (laughs) They also... Obviously, add more green space, improve air quality, build community, which is very important, and the increased property value.
1: Okay, you just mentioned building community, and I was listening to a podcast yesterday about how so many community spaces over the past century have just kind of fallen off as Mm -hmm. we've become more like work-oriented and as we've sort of bought into the idea that like work should be your sense of solidarity and identity yeah. and passion. Yeah. And now things like rec centers or community gardens or bowling clubs and PTA, like they're all falling off as we try and like find fulfillment within ourselves and within our family and within our job. But community and that solidarity, as I think we've all learned during the pandemic is so important and yeah. is hard to quantify. But as you mentioned, yeah, community gardens, like won't just produce x pounds of food per year (laughs) Um, yeah but that sense of solidarity and that sense of like trust with your neighbors and knowledge of your neighbors yeah I think is something I haven't really felt or experienced in New York but would be so important
0: yeah and I think it's also really rare now to have places to gather that
1: don't involve spending money yes you just gave me goosebumps That's like, we are so consumerist. I feel like a a little nauseous because you're right.
0: Yeah. I mean, anytime you want to gather with your friends, it's like, okay, if we're going to a bar, we're spending money. If we're going to a restaurant, we're spending money. If we're going to the movies, we're spending money. Mm -hmm. If we're going to do an activity, it's spending money. And like living in a city, even if you want to go do something like a hike to get there, you got to spend money. Mm -hmm. Even if you're having friends over to your house. You're buying more food to feed them, whatever. Like there's always this thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's a barrier to a lot of community building. Like if I would have to pay like a monthly fee to do something, maybe I'm not going to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And community gardens, you do pay to have like a plot to grow on, Mm -hmm. but you can go and sit. Like there's a community garden near me and it's beautiful. And you can go and sit amongst the Mm -hmm. flowers and the plants. And in my community garden, they do plays in the summer and everyone goes to watch and like stuff like that, that you can free. That's all plays. Free. Yeah. Free plays. They do like Shakespeare in the community garden.
1: <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's like so almost unimaginable to me just because I don't live near one of those and didn't realize that was a thing. But like, that's so utopian and nice.
0: Exactly. And, and for people who are growing food and plants there, that's also so cool to think that you and your neighbors are growing food together like making something come to life Mm -hmm. and feeding your community is so amazing so whether you're like buying into it financially and like with labor or just going and sitting and enjoying company like that's very rare in our society now Mm -hmm. so i think it's important to like preserve and increase and encourage that because i don't want to have to like build community through spending a bunch of money
1: yeah 100 percent. And i don't want to have to you know find my only sense of identity and fulfillment through something as fickle as employment because Mm -hmm. ultimately you will get laid off if they don't need you anymore and not to be so drama but like ripe for exploitation if you just love your job and you'll keep putting up with shit that kind of sucks but if something intrinsically motivates you Building a garden and, like, growing food to sustain your community in, like, the harder times and getting to see things come to life. Like, that is such that is such a beautiful sense of, I don't know, purpose.
0: Yeah. I really like it. <laughs> I think I need a garden.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: I, I really wish I had a garden. I'm really bad with – I do not have a green thumb. Every plant I have
1: purchased dies. So – I find them so confusing. I I would need to go to camp or something. I find them so mystifying. I like I I don't have a green thumb either. I'm like, "What do you need from me? I water you, and why are you turning like brown and crispy?"
0: <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh, I have this succulent that started leaning more towards the window, and I was like, "Thank you for communicating to me that you need more sun." <laughs> cute baby succulent and then i moved oh it and
1: then it got straight again i was like you're alive wow <laughs> it's fascinating oh my god so cute so <laughs> cute i did recently have to say goodbye to one plant which was tough mm. the mystery to me is pruning if any community gardeners out there yeah can like consult hit us up yeah i need i need some advice Mm -hmm. what's the deal with pruning yeah get back to me
0: (laughs) i know i i asked my husband i was like do you think i should name our plants and he was like i really don't think so because you killed them all (laughs) and you're gonna be so sad if you've given it a name yeah that that
1: would be devastating fair 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 you already have a banana you can't get rid of named jeremiah i think true (laughs) if you name something like jebediah (laughs) it's never gonna be able to be thrown away yeah And for context, it's a
0: stuffed banana. It's not like I've been holding on to a disgusting (laughs) banana
1: for years.
0: It's in the freezer. Good
1: context. Good
0: context. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. So, parks and gardens at the ground level are also really great at capturing carbon Mm -hmm. and heat and flood water. And since we have a terrible sewage system, if we had a bunch more parks it would really lessen the burden on our sewage because it would just get absorbed. That
1: makes so much sense. I feel like that's like a strategy for like preventing erosion in other areas. It's like plant a tree with roots. Yeah. Then the water won't sweep the ground out from under you.
0: I know. Have you seen my Big Fat Greek Wedding?
1: So long ago, I barely remember it.
0: The dad in the movie thinks everything can be solved with Windex. Like, if you have, like, a zit, he, like, sprays Windex <laughs> on it or whatever. I feel like trees are, like, that's, like, environmental issue, tree, racial issue, tree, my stomach tree? hurts, Treat.
1: <laughs> I I recently was having, like, bad anxiety, and I sent you a voice note, and I was like, I think what I need to do is just start, like, touching trees on my walks. And you were yes. like, for sure, for sure.
0: Anxiety, tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Oh, my gosh. Um, but one interesting thing I learned about, because I was like, okay, Duh. Let's just put community gardens everywhere. Mm -hmm. But apparently there's a bit of an issue in urban areas to find clean soil because it can be high in contaminants and low in nutrients. And that usually is because we use land for both industrial and residential properties. And the neighborhoods that most often have both industrial and residential are low income communities of color. Say it with me, everyone.
1: <laughs> this is what we mean when we talk about, like, institutionalized racism. Yeah. I think yeah. my mom and dad have a very hard time admitting to being racist or standing by while racist policies and practices persist because they're like, my dad led in the first black man to the Buffalo Country Club. It's like, first and foremost, that is barely going to speed of <laughs> traffic, if at all. And that was your dad. So I don't know that that yeah. counts. But second of all, I don't really care if yeah. you... I mean, I obviously do really fucking care, but what I mean is it's not the fact that you don't say the N-word that makes you not racist. Congratulations. That's Mm -hmm. so easy. The bar has got to be a little higher and has to be Mm -hmm. higher in the sense that we have to be looking at communities where we're like, okay, you're in a food swamp. You need, like, slightly cooler places to play and better access to food. That's the institutionalized disadvantage that we're talking about. And, like, I guess inevitably, like them living in residential plus industrial neighborhoods. Thinking
0: about your dad's comment, I can't remember the name of this video, but I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes. We watched this video in one of my classes that was comparing being anti-racist to dental hygiene. Mm. (laughs) And it was like, if you brush your teeth once, you would never say like five years later, well, I brushed my teeth five years ago. My teeth are clean. Right, right. You have to do it every day to maintain it. Yeah. And so when you think about anti-racism, we can't just be like, well, I studied this or I did this one thing or I give to this charity. It's like your teeth are fucking dirty and you need to floss. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Keep up. (laughs) Come
1: on, man. Get a tongue scraper. (laughs) For real.
0: Okay. Contaminated soil. So the hazard of this is that it can just get absorbed into the food Mm. that you grow in the contaminated soil and you can transfer it to those who eat it and farmers coming to contact with toxins either by touching it or breathing it in mm. so not the best however mm. infrastructure once again mm. is so cool and can fix this I'll
1: say more <laughs> so <laughs>
0: some soil can be like treated to clean it or whatever but i think that's really expensive and mm. not always like possible in like grand scale okay but on a small scale you can install these like raised beds where they put like concrete and like different mesh and then New soil on top. I see. So you don't need to rely on the existing soil underneath it.
1: And that the raised bed would still help the flooding issue you talked about in the sense that with it being exposed to the elements, it's still gonna inevitably absorb some of that water so it's mm-hmm. so that the water doesn't instead flood our subways, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. So it's just putting like a new chunk on the old chunk. <laughs> Okay. Got um, it. you could also install a greenhouse, which wouldn't have the flooding benefit, but you could still grow food. And have you ever heard of hydroponics? No, I can't say I have hydroponics. So it's basically a system where plants can grow without soil in like nutrient-rich water.
1: That is so fascinating. <laughs> I know. I'm picturing like a little bathtub of, <laughs> of literally. Plants. That's what they look like. It's so cute.
0: And so they they still need like something to support the roots. So there's like different materials you can put at the bottom. And then they just dump a bunch of nutrients into the water and the plants just eat it all up. That's insane. It's so cool. And so it's like a little more expensive to set it up and it takes a lot more care to maintain it. Mm -hmm. But it takes up less space. It uses less water. And the produce grows faster.
1: Okay, that is a little bit counterintuitive at first to think that it requires less water. Because I think when you're thinking about a big vessel full of water, you're like, well, that must be more than somewhere where the water is actually just soil. Yeah. But I guess it makes sense because when you're watering something, some of that is not going to reach the plant's root. Exactly. So it's not super efficient. Okay, wow.
0: Yeah. It's not going to maybe reach the plant's root. And- since the plants have like all these necessary nutrients and it's like a very controlled environment and they're growing so much faster it's like less water per plant however there are some like criticisms of this that like when we talk about like animals and like how animals in cages for farming spread diseases a lot faster than if it's like cage free and roaming around like wouldn't that be the same Mm. for indoor farming where like all the plants are really squished together like if there's one disease or something that it would spread a lot faster.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. I feel like people who don't or haven't had tussles with houseplants before might not know that plants get diseases too.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they don't they don't um use pesticides in these like hydroponic things because they're super controlled so they don't need to use it, and they're like no bugs coming in or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if for some reason there was some sort of contamination, it would probably spread really quickly. Yeah. I don't know how likely it is that that happens, but that's one concern. And then the other one is we don't really know the long-term effects on our microbiome of eating food that like didn't grow in soil and was like given nutrients kind mm. of like artificially.
1: Yeah. So unclear. That's a really good point, And I think that it's something I've been thinking about at a very shallow level because I'm a complete and utter lay person when it comes to... <laughs> biodiversity and climate change and all of that. But I had read a book by Yvonne Schwinard, the founder of Patagonia, called Let My People Go Surfing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it talks about the climate crisis and proposes some solutions to it. And I was kind of struck by like how seemingly obvious some of the solutions are, but also how like back to basics or like back to our roots they are. Mm -hmm. Like so much of it is not innovating our way out of the planet being on fire. Yeah. Like so much of it is like It's actually just better for there not to be like no buffalo on this plane because when the herds of buffalo run across, they, you know, disrupt the soil in such a way that plants are better able to grow and seeds are like pounded into the soil, whatever, whatever. Let the
0: earth do its thing. (laughs) Let
1: the earth do its thing. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to hear that like there is this like cool hydroponics idea, but it's also... Inevitably, because it hasn't been done before, like, we don't know how it would affect yeah, our microbiome or how contamination would look. Yeah. It's really interesting. I
0: know. And I don't know what the, like, net benefit of either thing would be. But I think when I consider lack of land in New York City or in any city, should we have these systems that are, like, man-made and more controlled in order to just produce food instead of doing nothing? Because... I don't know how possible it is to like restructure our whole agricultural system mm-hmm. in the way that we idealize it. So is it like something in the right direction of something? I don't know. Like I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert, but yeah. What's the trade off? Yeah. I don't know. I just find it very fascinating that we can kind of make certain things adapt to the fact that we live in cities and that's not going to change. Yeah, And it shouldn't change because it's better to live in cities for environmental reasons, even though that feels counterintuitive, like it's much better use of energy to live all close together than like single family homes Mm -hmm. that take up a lot of space. And it's like a lot of transportation of resources to each place. So all very strange when you start thinking about infrastructure and energy and all this stuff. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. And so much of it is counterintuitive. Like even what you just said about how it's like, it's actually much more efficient resource wise mm-hmm. to be in a city mm-hmm. that just like it doesn't that's not my first instinct but it yeah. makes sense
0: yeah especially when you like walk around new york and you're like
1: <coughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> you're like am i really doing something good for the planet yes yeah. this feels this is bad feels dirty <laughs> yeah, and i'm near the east village area so i feel like i'm which i love because mm-hmm. the food fucking slaps <laughs> but a lot of times i don't know what day is trash day I think it's every day. I can't confirm. <laughs> Basically, I feel like I'm always walking around just like huge mountains of trash bags. Yeah. A hundred percent of the time. Yeah. And it's, it's weird to think that like, hey, like this is the environmentally right choice to I live know. here. I'm <laughs> like, yeah. I'm in a trash mountain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We are rat people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we really are.
0: <laughs> Another interesting thing is that contaminated soil... Doesn't need to be completely useless.
1: Good news for the soil. You're not useless. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You tried. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency says that plants that produce fruiting bodies like tomatoes or berries or apples are more appropriate to be grown in soil that might be kind of contaminated because the final thing that you eat is so far away
1: Mm. from the
0: contaminants that it's like less likely to contain it while root vegetables that are like surrounded by the soil are much more likely to absorb the toxins so you could still use certain plots of land to grow a bunch of berries and it won't be that big of a deal that's great so that seems cool another cool type of garden are school gardens
1: (gasps) school gardens yeah so
0: apparently there are like almost 1800 public schools in new york city okay and at least 700 of them have school gardens
1: oh my god i had no idea
0: yeah and this is obviously like Great for the kiddos cool education outside especially for kids that like might not learn great in a classroom mm-hmm. if you're doing like science class outside like actually getting to touch things and grow things like I'm sure that gives like a good diversity of learning styles yeah, but it also produces food for the community, which is awesome and I just don't really get why we don't do this in every single school
1: <laughs> I know I'm remembering in first grade we had like class guinea pigs and i'm like maybe we should have had a class garden because you get the benefits of like hands-on outside of traditional learning structure classes where you're yeah interacting with something that isn't like a book or a screen (laughs) yeah but then it would also be so productive
0: when i was in kindergarten we had a school garden and like each grade had like a little plot And so we would like grow lettuce and radishes and we'd get to like go check on them. And then when they were done, we'd pick them all and we'd all like split up the food and take them home. And I'd be like, mom, here's my radish. Let's add it to the salad. And it was so fun. That is
1: like the (laughs) sweetest, cutest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) It's so cute. I love picturing baby Ellie being like, mom, my radish is... I grew a radish. (laughs) I did it. (laughs) I'm so
0: amazing. And like we already have like those plots already like the schools are already built Mm -hmm. and if you use like part of the concrete playground and just turned it into a garden you're adding green space to communities Mm -hmm. you're absorbing heat you're absorbing water you're producing food you're giving kids like a fun education you're making the neighborhood look pretty like
1: easy peasy win 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 win
0: Why are we not president? What's going on here? We should be. I know. Can we, can we be co-presidents? Yes. Like split the hours? A thousand percent. Okay. <laughs> Thank God. Split the <laughs> hours. <laughs> I'll take all the Spanish speaking countries for diplomacy. Like perfect. It'll be fine. Perfect. And then our last like type of infrastructure are um, vertical gardens and green roofs. Okay. Which are also super cool. And Chicago's actually kind of like the hub of urban farming. Oh. Yeah. They, like, have a lot of vertical farms and rooftop gardens, and that's super great for a place like Chicago because it gets real fucking cold. Yep. And they can produce fresh produce through the dead of winter and, like, cut all the transportation costs, you know? Like, it's already in the city. And their facilities are able to harvest up to 26 times a year, which usually you wouldn't be able to do that much because in the winter, mm-hmm. normal land is just covered in snow. Right. Or like in a really hot place, it's hard to grow or all that stuff. And it uses 85% less energy, one-tenth the water than traditional farming, and they've eliminated pesticides and herbicides completely. Wow. And they're also pretty attractive to investors because they use LED low energy energy light and so there's that and like the growing demand for local food so it's kind of like gaining a lot of traction investment wise and they're really like green roofs are great because they effectively like replace the loss of land that a building does yeah, yeah, so you yeah. just like put it on top <laughs> and then you get best of both worlds
1: best of both damn worlds
0: and like new york city space is not really what we're known for so yeah let's use all these buildings we have everywhere Yeah. Cover them in gardens. A hundred
1: percent. I love that they don't use herbicides and pesticides. I think that's something that Yvonne Schwienhardt also talks about is like, they kill like, (laughs) I'm going to make up a number. (laughs) No one quote me (laughs) to his book in the show notes, but.
0: Always check our work.
1: (laughs) Yeah, please. You be our fact checkers, listener. (laughs) But. It's, it's, like, a, a vanishingly small percentage of pests that pesticides actually kill. It's, like, 10%. Mm-hmm. Oh, like wow. Like, so, something, like, microscopic. Yeah. It's, like, the most useless, like, way to just bombard ourselves with contamination at, to no end. Yeah. But, yeah, so I And I probably
0: that. kills a lot of, like, the good bacteria in the process. Yes,
1: 100%. And then it ends up in our, in our water and all this shit. So it's nice that – I don't know that anything requires pesticides, but I'm glad green roofs don't.
0: Well, the like vertical gardens that are covered don't. Green roofs that are exposed would need it probably. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I think like the vertical gardens are kind of like the hydroponic thing where they're like in a controlled space.
1: Yes. So I think if
0: they're out exposed to the elements maybe they, I don't know if they need them. I don't know if any plant needs them, but I think they might still be used.
1: I have a question about the vertical gardens. Yes. I don't know what the word is. Is it a trellis? Like I'm just picturing a bunch of plants in a room in rows, (laughs) like a library, but just plants. Do you know what I'm thinking? Like, or is it just like they're... I'm going to show you. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm looking at a picture now and it does look like a vertical garden dedicated space. That's really cool. It sort of looks like... I'm just trying to think of a way to just describe the, like apparatus yeah. on which the plants are growing, and it feels like those spinning shelves at like Claire's. Yes, where, like they hang earrings, but yes. it's just all plants. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, okay,
0: and so they can just be kind of like stacked. There is also other ones that are more like shelves, looking like a library, and so they can you can just put so many more. Yeah, wow. in a space. But the green rooftop gardens are kind of similar to ground level gardens. So they can also do all the same benefits of like with increasing precipitation levels and rising temperatures, also covering rooftops either fully or partially in some sort of vegetation provides better insulation Ooh. than a barren surface, which conserves energy and reduces noise pollution, which in New York would be I mean, lovely.
1: I the number of times I'm editing our podcast being like, well, here are some sirens. Here are some more sirens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lovely I mean, I background get, noise. Yeah, I get as much as I can out, but you and I always say, that's life in the big city. Yeah. And, uh we're going to have sirens in our episodes until... Every building is covered with a green roof, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Mayor Adam's looking at you. You get used to it. But yeah, every single night you're like, I might as well be on the street. Like, I might as well be standing on the sidewalk. This is so damn loud. And the buildings are so old and the walls are so thin. I might as well sleep
0: outside. I might as well. <laughs> Under the stars.
1: Yeah. Amongst the great. trash bags. How does it How does it affect, like... Does it just, like, intercept noise or, like, sound waves? Like, how do green roofs help with noise pollution? I think it
0: just absorbs the sound. Yeah. Like, when you put padding in, like, a music studio or something mm. rather than when you just have, like, barren walls or when you put, like, a rug on the floor, you know? Mm, I don't know yeah. the science of sound, but I think it just, it helps.
1: <laughs> right. I know. You and I, maybe we should, when we're recording in our little makeshift studios, just have, like, big <laughs>
0: Big yes, next Just to us, a little hedge <laughs> surrounding
1: yeah. us improve our noise quality for you all.
0: Yeah, there's this really cool company called Gotham Greens, and they have locations around the U.S. and they have three of them in New York. And they produce year round. They grow more produce per square foot compared to conventional farming, very similar to the ones in Chicago, and use less land, energy, water, all of this, and produce less waste, which is great. Mm. And they use, like, machine data analysis to monitor the progress of their crops. Like, wow, so fancy. (laughs) And they have a location in Gowanus that's on top of the first Whole Foods ever in Brooklyn. Wow. And it's the first commercial-scale greenhouse farm integrated into a supermarket. So Whole Foods sells the produce that's grown directly on their roof, and that cuts out, like transportation costs, packaging costs for, like, both Whole Foods and the environment. So, like, talk about shortening the distance, you know?
1: And then hopefully, I mean, I don't know, I don't know that any, like, private is ever really incentivized to pass that saving along to the end consumer, but theoretically that would be cheaper if you're not, if your apple or whatever is being grown on the roof isn't also associated with, like, yeah gas for the truck that got it here or packaging yeah. for the palette that got it here. Yeah. Theoretically it would be a little bit cheaper too and hopefully more affordable for those people in food swamps, as we were saying earlier.
0: Yeah. And that's why it's like, okay, so this is on top of a Whole Foods, but can we put it on top of a cheaper grocery store and yeah. and have that relationship that you're saying of like not having to pay as much for produce because it's right upstairs and like let's just implement that. And like I think the grander the scale of all of this, the cheaper it all become. So yeah. just put it everywhere. Like, uh-huh.
1: why do you think that is that? Like you said, this was the first commercial scale. Yeah. Like green roof. Maybe the answer is like obvious, but why is it that it would be on top of a Whole Foods where presumably nearby residents already have access to nutrition? Is, th- is that more like proof of concept and like now we can roll it out to other places? Yeah. But it- it's just interesting that it's the first place this garden kind of pops up as somewhere that is not necessarily the most sorely in need of it.
0: Yeah, I would I would guess that it's proof of concept and also it's a private company that you know like needs to make a profit and mm-hmm. and maybe they actually sell it at a premium, who knows? Yeah. to be like I'm supporting local food and whatever, but now that we know that like that can work, yeah. it doesn't need to be this Gotham Greens company, like other companies can enter this market or like the city can provide things so yeah like the first one is there but I think it just shows us that it like works and they yeah they didn't invent gardening so
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's it's really cool as a concept though to think that like uh, I don't know I feel like farmers are like yeah like I grew it here and I'm eating it here Mm -hmm. maybe it's less novel to them but it's as a city driller like crazy to think about like the building I'm buying my apple Inn is like also where it grew that would be crazy
0: yeah exactly i think like in food swamps if your concern is money and you're just like trying to feed your family i don't want to speak for everyone obviously i'm trying to put myself in that position and thinking like i wouldn't really give a shit where the lettuce came from Mm -hmm. i would just be like what's the cheapest lettuce if i'm getting Mm -hmm. lettuce while somebody that can like get food anywhere And has that like agency of choice Mm. can be like oh i will pay the extra money to get this fancy lettuce and i'm going to serve it at my dinner party and tell everyone that i got it that's roof garden and i'm so (laughs) much better than you like yeah (laughs) so (laughs) but excitingly in april of 2019 the new york city council passed local law 94 which requires all new commercial and residential buildings to be covered by either solar like electricity generating systems or green roofs (gasps)
1: Fuck yeah. But
0: this is all just new buildings. I'm like, why can't we push for like all buildings? I know. <laughs> it's exciting that new... I mean, there's always construction in New York, so it's exciting that new yeah. buildings will have to do this. But I feel like older buildings are probably the most like energy wasteful buildings anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think it's progress.
1: Progress, yeah. Be- but
0: it's also like where are new buildings being built Fancy neighborhoods? Are they in neighborhoods that are being gentrified? Like, where are they? Who gets to live there? Who gets to benefit from these gardens? So, like, let's let's do old buildings too.
1: Yeah, that's a. It's such a good like public policy thought experiment. I mean, I know it's also this is real life. It's it's not a thought experiment. But how do you get buy-in from the community and from the people managing or the landlords or the owners of the older buildings to participate in something like this? Because it really would be to their advantage. I think that maybe like yeah. retention rate of residents could be higher if like they have that sense of community and a community garden mm-hmm. on top of the fact that your building will be more energy efficient. Like mm-hmm. this is this is like a win-win, but it's it's the rollout of it, the public policy element of how to get that buy and how to start with the older buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see why it's easier with, I guess it sounds like Local Law 94 to implement this for new buildings and old buildings because there's a bit more... Activation energy, I guess, there. Yeah.
0: I think that we can, like, attract investment if it's, like, packaged well. Because Gotham Greens, for example, their sales, like, surged during the pandemic when, like, national supply chains were upended Clearly, there's a need and economic demand. And the CEO raised $87 million in capital, in like new capital during that time to continue expanding their network. Holy fuck. In addition to the investments in Gotham Greens, there's been like this suddenly hyped industry where investors have poured $1 billion in just like three months into these kind of projects. Wow. There was like a merger announced in late 2020 of a greenhouse tomato grower That's backed by J.D. Vance and Martha Stewart. And like, (laughs) there's obviously a boom in the industry and it's seeing major investments. And I'm like, New York, capitalize on this opportunity. Raise private funds for more green roofs. Like taxes are not the only way to raise money. Yeah. Get rich people to spend money on green roofs.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I just wonder if there's a way because maybe it'd be hard to require old buildings to do this in the same way that you can more easily sort of require Newer buildings to do it since, like, you're already going to be doing some sort of like construction anyway. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure there's some kind of incentivization system beyond just like the direct benefits of having a green garden. But also, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it would look like trying to incentivize New York landlords to do something. But (laughs) yeah, those private funds could go really far.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I also wanted to tell you about this really cool program that's called Farm School NYC. And it trains local communities in urban agriculture to, like, build more self-reliant communities. And it focuses on the intersection of food and racial and economic justice. And they, like, just teach people how to farm. And it's so cool. And I want to do it. Are we going to do it? Yeah. I'm like, I I hope the
1: next (laughs) sentence out of your mouth is, so we're doing it. So I signed
0: us up. Hope you're free tomorrow at (laughs) 4.
1: Starts tomorrow. Farm, I'm looking it up. Farm, why did I just spell school with a K? Farm school (laughs) Maybe I thought it was like one of those like really cheeky like.
0: Or maybe you need to go back to school.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Okay, we have to do this. It looks so fun. Do we have to apply? I don't know. Okay, we're going to do it.
0: I went to this. Did I tell you about last year? I went to volunteer for a day with Santi to this farm upstate. It's called Rock Steady Farm and it's so cool and it's all queer people and women and instead of selling at farmers markets, they make like these boxes of produce that they send to their community members Mm. and they have like a sliding scale so that they can send free boxes to low income people and you just get like a mix of fresh veg from this really cool farm because i always thought like farmer's markets were the only way to like support farmers yeah and i was asking them when i was there i was like oh and like what farmer's markets do you guys sell at? like i want to go buy your stuff and they were like oh we don't do that and i was like why not And they're like because they're super elitist and i was like wow farmers being against farmer's markets of them being like people can't afford that shit it's ridiculous and like i think oh, there's like a ridiculous. lot of politics too about like like who gets to sell where and all this stuff and they're just like fuck that We're going to have a box and we're going to send it to our people. And that's that. And I was like, yeah, my God, you guys are so cool.
1: There definitely is a dark underbelly of farmer's markets.
0: (laughs) Oh, I want like an HBO show about the tea behind farmer's markets. Dude,
1: for real. (laughs) I I do, too.
0: And then the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, what do you know about like closing Rikers Island, the jail system in New York, for those who don't know?
1: I know nothing about closing it. I mean, I know that it's sort of like famously terrible, Mm -hmm. terrible conditions, there are rooms that are supposed to be sort of like 24-hour waiting periods as your paperwork, I guess, gets processed. And then you end up being there with like no food and no chairs and just standing room for like more than 24 hours at a time. It's mm-hmm. That's pretty much all I know about it. I don't know anything about like plans to close it or the environmental impact of Rikers Island or anything like that. I just know that it's not our city's proudest moment.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like I could do a whole episode on Rikers Island, but like, yeah, essentially it's a jail complex where 80% of the people are awaiting trial. So they're not even convicted of anything and they're just mm-hmm. sitting incarcerated and there's such a backlog. So they're just because they can't afford to bail themselves out or just sitting in jail and they haven't been convicted of anything. Mm-hmm. Not that I believe in prison either. So, but <laughs>
1: like, yeah, but it's like, even if you do, yeah. you have to at least admit that this is fucking stupid. Yeah.
0: And the conditions are horrible and it's really like gross and dirty. And during the pandemic, it was obviously awful because covid was spreading so quickly and it's just this island with like this one tiny bridge to get there it's so Mm -hmm. isolating it's right next to LaGuardia airport so you're just like constantly hearing planes taking off which is noisy and also like i feel like so depressing to be like in jail and like people are traveling like people are escaping right next to you it's just all really fucked up but they're closing it And it's a long process, like a 10-year process, which I think is really unnecessary. But they're closing (laughs) it and going to like a borough-based jail system. So each borough will have a smaller jail. So it's supposed to be a decarceration effort, not just like building new jails Mm. across New York. Even though there is like a no new jails movement, that's like we have the opportunity to just get rid of jail. Like let's just not build any new ones. But anyway, then it's like, okay, well, what do we do with this island? And some people were like, oh, maybe we should do a bunch of affordable housing there. And there are a lot of formerly incarcerated advocates who are like, this is not a place for human beings. We are not putting the same like low-income people that we've been sending to jail, we're not sending them to this horrible island to be isolated and like live in terrible NYCHA housing. Like, no. No. Enough of that. And so basically the proposal is Renewable Rikers.
1: Oh, Renewable Rikers. It's
0: very exciting to me.
1: So it's not turning Rikers into a tourist attraction where you go and have an audio guide? (laughs) Like Alcatraz? Okay, great. No. (laughs) What is it with fucking jails and islands, man? Isolate the scariest people of society. Mm -hmm. But
0: Renewable Rikers is like a reimagining of New York City's infrastructure towards green energy. Okay. It's basically really supported by formerly incarcerated people on Rikers, their families, their communities. Like, this is a great use of this space. And like, not that we're going to forget what was here, but like, Mm. let's not just use it again to isolate people. Yeah. And also because our current infrastructure of like waste management and energy and all this stuff harms the same communities that Rikers did. Like the Bronx, for example, has been burdened by hyper polluting peaker plants which were opened as, like, a temporary solution 20 years ago.
1: What are peaker
0: plants? They're power plants known for peak demand of electricity. Like, they're they're power plants. Okay. Of some sort. But they're super polluting, and it was supposed to be like, oh, we're just doing this temporarily, and that was 20 years ago, and it's still there, and, like, residents are like, what the fuck? And there are also many, like, diesel truck-based waste transfer stations and wastewater treatment plants And so that adds to all the, like, air pollution problems. And if we just transferred all of this waste management to Rikers Island and create, like, our energy system and waste management system on this island, first of all, like, as we implement new infrastructure, it gives us, like, the opportunity to build, like, green infrastructure on Rikers, like, greener ways of doing all of this. And it would also a lot of these treatment plants that are in the Bronx right now are like along the waterfront. Mm-hmm. So it would just like clear out all this precious waterfront land and we can have more like community driven development of like more parks and affordable yeah. housing in your in your community, not like sending you off to Rikers Island.
1: Right. It makes so much more sense to like isolate the things that are hurting in very real ways. Everyone. Yeah. Like pollution. Yeah. And the contaminants of the soil, and yeah. like things that are literally causing asthma during a pandemic, it makes way more sense to isolate that than to isolate poor people, people. who, ha- yeah, <laughs> who haven't even been convicted of anything yeah. yet. We all know jails and prisons do absolutely nothing to deter crime; like yeah. they're not working. And yeah. we're just isolating people and keeping the contaminants in poorer neighborhoods. Yeah, it makes, it, I love that idea of just yeah. like shifting waste management. Yeah. Why not isolate the actual harm?
0: Exactly. <laughs> and have like beautiful parks along the water. Mm-hmm. Build new housing with rooftop gardens on it. Yes. Growing food for the community and like actually investing in taking care of these neighborhoods that are much more vulnerable to gentrification, displacement, climate change, like all this stuff. And like you said, it would literally benefit everyone because the increased capacity to like generate and store clean energy on Rikers would reduce pollution In our waterways, everyone's drinking water. It would divert organic waste. It would get us to, like, close power plants and wastewater plants that are making us sick. It would create a bunch of green jobs. So it's supposedly going to happen. Like, the laws that have been passed around it are, like, the city must assess the ability of Rikers Island to have Mm. green energy. Which their conclusion better not be that it doesn't have the capacity. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If you can
1: can house hundreds of possibly innocent people on this island like i'm really hoping you can like handle waste. yeah
0: you definitely can yeah and they're also supposed to not wait for all of rikers to be closed but like okay this jail's closed we're gonna start building infrastructure now yeah and like doing it as it goes but i want this to happen much faster like climate change is only getting worse I was going to say, <laughs> we
1: don't have that much time.
0: And, like, let's decarcerate faster. Like, let's send people home faster. And let's clean our air faster. But it's very exciting to, like, to have a whole island open up mm-hmm. that could really, like, change a lot of things. So that's my spiel.
1: I like that we ended on that super optimistic note. Yeah. That's, like, really, it is really exciting to think about.
0: Yeah. Prison industrial complex. Trees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> the the title oh, of this episode should just be Trees exclamation point. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling down, trees. <laughs> Society's issues, trees, capitalism, trees. Oh my god, a hundred percent. Yeah, because I think that I'm I'm in a tough place right now with wanting so badly to learn about all of the issues that we're facing and like thinking about things like the lack of community groups mm-hmm. over the past few decades and what that means for how we think about work and our identity. I, wa- I want to know more about the prison industrial complex yeah. and I want to understand why climate change is a- as urgent as it is. But I think that does often in, to be honest, a kind of unproductive way, make me feel so existentially doomed. Yeah. And I know logically that the inability to do everything shouldn't stop you from doing anything. Yeah. But it's hard sometimes. And so even these like nuggets of concrete hope, like renewable Rikers, it just, it kind of reinvigorates you to, to focus on what you can do and to like keep focusing on it. Like it's not going to be perfect. It can't be. But in the meantime, people are getting asthma and not eating nutrition dense food and and they are sick and they are being harmed. And like, we can do something about at least that even if we're not going to stop the planet from entirely catching on fire we can do this thing and i i need that optimism in my yeah. life sometimes so i'm glad yeah. yeah i'm just glad you took us through that
0: and also i was thinking about the like community stuff and like spending money to be in community and i was realizing like religious spaces like churches and synagogues are kind of like the few Places where you can like really build community without spending at least a lot of money, like you might give some money at to the church or whatever. And it's like, where do we go?
1: Yeah, to the trees. <laughs> yes, to the trees. That's actually I'm glad you mentioned that because somehow I completely forgot that that was one of like the bigger cultural like pillars of yeah. community that was brought up in the podcast I said I listened to about how those spaces have been declining over a few decades and. Yeah, that that's so right. We've become more secularized over time. Mm-hmm. And we haven't replaced that very, very necessary watering hole. Like, yeah. we, we we don't have that right now. Um,
0: Mother Nature is our God. We'll worship yeah. her.
1: Honestly, I, I was about to say, like, mm-hmm. you and I need to open, like... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I make jokes about us starting our own, like, sorority slash cult. And now, <laughs> here I am <laughs> again saying we're going to do it but we need to start some sort of like feminist environmentalist church in new york <laughs> we, we have to re-brand. go we
0: have to go to farm school first they're going to be like yeah. they're going to be like oh we're here to learn about the environment we're going to be like yeah us too anybody have yeah. any expertise <laughs> amazing well thank you for listening i hope you learned something
1: <laughs> i learned a lot hydroponics man <laughs>
0: i know so cool
1: <laughs> thanks for sharing Culture Calendar is produced by Elisa Nolasco and Audra Fitzgerald. Show art by Angela Cho and music by Santiago Hervella. Research for each episode
0: is conducted independently and is for entertainment purposes only. Information shared in the show reflects the best we know at this moment in time. And there is always more to learn.